Welcome to the YTY Show, where all the questions you've never asked will be told as the stories you've never heard. Hello everyone, this is a podcast on homeopathy. I'm pretty sure a lot of people have taken homeopathy till now. Uh, I was a major believer of homeopathy during my childhood. My parents still are. They do use homeopathy. And uh, slowly I kind of uh, understood what homeopathy was. But then in this particular podcast, I was able to do a pro-homeopathy debate against a family physician who I met. Uh, the physician wanted to remain anonymous, so I had to. I cannot reveal his name. Uh, so we had a we we had a really good debate about uh, pro homeopathy versus a pro allopathy or pro regular medicine, and trying to see if uh, homeopathy can fit in somewhere. Does it make sense? Should people use it? Um, try and find out. Hope you like it. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, doctor. Thank you for coming to the show. Hi, Teja. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, so to give you a brief uh, for the for the listeners, uh, to give a, give you a brief understanding as to what we're going to do today, uh, we're going to have a small debate regarding uh, homeopathy. And uh, so it's going to be a pro homeopathy versus a pro allopathy or practicing allopathy debate, while. Uh, I'll be taking the side of a pro homeopath because I know it works. Okay, so <laughs> and uh, I know it might sound funny, but then yeah. So my my own wife is an allopath and she she's an allopathy medicine practicing doctor. So, but then I I've seen the effects of homeopathy and I would like to um, talk about it and talk a pro about it and um, hopefully I'll have a decent debate about you and you'll be able to convince me about certain things and I'll be able to convince you about certain things. Yeah, I think both of us can learn. So let's see. So uh, thank you for being on the show, first of all. My pleasure. Um, so the first part is that, you know, uh, Dr. Hanuman, you know, who you know, sounds very close to the Hanuman that we have in India. Then uh, Dr. Hanuman, who was like a... I don't know if he was a doctor or not, but then, yeah, he, he uh, Mr. Hanemann, I could say, mm-hmm. who was a German scientist who basically was, was really unhappy with the conventional way of medicine that was already working back then. Okay. And this is during like the 1700s. And so he, Hanemann, he took this uh, branch of her bark of the Sincona plant, which kind of has this uh, substance called quinine, which is currently also or may not might not be currently but then it was a very popular malaria uh, anti-malaria uh, medicine for a long time so when he took quinine he kind of in smaller quantities he saw that he developed the symptoms which are similar for malaria and then he came up with the concept of like cures like or likes cure like so whatever that causes a particular symptom could also uh, cure that particular uh, disease, cure a particular disease which causes a similar symptom. So, here I'd like to take my stance that you know, even in the modern day medicine, you have uh, vaccines which are nothing but likes which are given 
to the person in a smaller lower dose concentrations which eventually create a good uh, response against a, uh, you know antibody response against a particular virus or a bacteria giving us a uh, lifetime immunization against it so there you have the evidence of like cure life what are your thoughts about it right so definitely using quinine for malaria was a very good choice uh definitely vaccinating is a very good thing the thing is when you say like cure likes and that it came from homeopathy the like in that term is very generalized i mean you are talking about quinine treating malaria quinine may or may not cause fever so quinine when we give it to patients it doesn't cause fever but it kills the bacteria just because something's causing fever it doesn't have to clear some organism which causes fever i mean if you really think about it physically in in physical sense in biochemical sense in microbiological sense it does not really make any sense and now coming to the topic of vaccines if vaccines are claimed to be theirs by homeopathy then i would be the happiest cuz all the homeopathy people can will go get their vaccines and that's all i care about but when you talk about vaccines being like kills like that makes sense but when homeopathy says like clear kills like it talks about the symptoms being caused curing the symptoms being caused and traditionally homeopathy itself is proud on being the kind of medicine that helps the body and does not really treat the symptoms that has been the basis of homeopathy for a while and when you talk about quinine killing malaria that's because quinine is toxic to the malarial parasite i mean you could look at it the other way and say oh well this causes fever that causes fever that's how we treat fever it that doesn't really make sense cuz there's 200 things that can cause fever quinine doesn't clear common cold quinine causes fever common cold causes fever so it's the the thing is with allopathy although there are side effects and we only go with medicines that have agreeable amount of side effects we know what we're doing we understand the basis of whatever it is that we are treating so i don't really see any basis or evidence of that sentence except that it makes a really fancy sentence to say and you could just pull any example from any type of medicine from any era as an example for that because it's just such a generalized statement i'll have to accept on certain things yes it is uh, true that uh, quinine might not cure i mean i'm not a homeopathic doctor so i don't know if quinine quinine is also given in lower amounts for um, uh, your uh, common cold for all i know it may they might be for they, they might be doing it but then um, what i could uh argue about is that my brother received my own brother uh he received treatment for uh his uh, asthma he uh, so asthma ran across my family um and i mean not across my family but of course you know my 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 father's uh, elder brother had it and uh, my thankfully my my father never developed it but my brother had serious attacks of um uh, uh asthma 
and uh, he was completely cured literally i mean he he used to have such bad uh, uh, attacks episodes of these things when i used to see him like literally gasp for breath breath and, and sometimes i used to feel like he's going to die and you know your regular medicines or you know your allopathic medicines never worked but then i saw it with my own eyes that you know when he went for a homeopathic regiment he was cured he 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 was cured i didn't even know that there was a cure available for uh, asthma till then well i'm i'm very glad that your brother got better but uh, uh th- this is a good example childhood asthma i mean the natural history of the disease is 3 out of 4 children will get better Okay. Now, when you talk about what medicines they gave about like kills like or I have, I have no idea actually what they gave him, but honestly, asthma it's it's a very interesting disease because you could look at the pathophysiology, you could look at the tissue histology and it's you will see that it's not there's so many components to asthma. There is hyperreactivity airway hyperreactivity there is um increased smooth muscle in the tracheobronchial tree which in future will cause even severe exacerbations cuz now it's a muscle as compared to just an epithelium so it'll cause more bronchoconstriction and and also there's reduced lung capacity in these children although there's a controversy about have they been like that to start with and developed asthma or did asthma do that so if you look at what asthma really is it's a very diverse it is a disease of multiple histopathologic uh, implications now as i said 3 out of 4 people with asthma get better and as i said we have allopathy we have medicines that target those specific receptors and you actually see the treatment working in front of your eyes now there are some severe cases there are some very resistant cases i have had some patients who got intubated because of asthma copd whatever but when you say that homeopathy treated them what kind of medicine would they have given to him how does it make sense to you that a disease with so many varied components completely dissimilar to each other were treated by some magic substance um so here maybe i can move on to the second part and try to explain uh, what, how this could help while conventional wisdom or regular chemistry or physics or whatever that you take into consideration thinks about potentiation or you know increase in potency as increases with fold increase of uh, a particular drug in concentration increase in concentration homeopathy deals with the second uh, second type which is called potentiation of uh, uh, decrease in concentrations so whenever a, a dose of something is given at a lower concentration or tenfold lower concentration what it is supposed to it it tends to have a higher potency so i mean this might beat regular common sense but then it it kind of works because uh, and it 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 has it has shown that you know uh, uh, people have shown that drugs that they give in a homeopathic medicine which is of tenfold lower concentration has t- uh, tenfold higher effect in 
in treating a disease. Oh, that that is another really interesting argument that homeopathy uh, physicians or you know pro homeopaths make, and it's that dilution, I guess, forms nanoparticles, which just wouldn't happen by shaking off the test tube. You should remember that's how they make the medicine. But also the fact about dilution, the way they dilute, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, when you really look at how much drug you really have, and we don't really know what kind of drug they have in it first off, but how much drug you have in the solution is, it's 10 to the power of 30 dilution. That means it's it's maybe, it's one molecule, because Avogadro is 10 to the power of 23, so one molecule in an ocean. You know, it's it's that amount of dilution, and when you dry it out and make this pill, I mean, how much of really any substance are you giving to the patient? And again, another thing is the basis of homeopathy is it ha- it had divided diseases into heat, cold, just a couple of very basic pathologies, if you would even call it that term, pathology. But that's about it. So any disease would have to fall under these four or five systems and then you would get the medicine that would increase the heat for increased heat that would increase the cold for increased cold um, that would increase the warmth for swelling for increased swelling so really what first off what is the concentration of, of the active ingredient that you're getting and what is really the purpose of the active ingredient that you're getting when the disease itself our diseases are of innumerable kinds. The pathophysiology is completely different for many diseases. One single organism can cause different kinds of diseases. If you take um, if you take a bacteria, E. coli, it could cause it could sit in your cells in the gut and cause diarrhea just by secreting a toxin. It could sit again in the cells of the gut, and it could make you kill your own blood cells. That's it can induce autoimmunity. Um, it could actually physically go form abscesses and cause a different kind of disease. So really, there's multiple different kind of diseases, and the doses, honestly, they're different. If you have a disease, uh, if you have an infection in the bone, you need a stronger dose just because the blood supply to the bone is less. If you're um, disease is is in the nail bed it's a pretty well vascular structure and you don't really need that much of a um dose or that much of a duration if if the urinary tract infection you have is just the lower urinary tract then you just need treatment for four to five days because that's enough um because the bacteria or the um, parasite hasn't colonized all of your uroepithelium. But if you have an abscess in the kidney, you honestly need a longer duration, you need bigger doses. So really all these nano doses and about doing, killing or treating things by its symptoms uh, wouldn't really stand stand aground against what really and actually is happening to your body and how much really of the drug you need. Um, so here... He- here is where I'd like to introduce something called as the memory of water. Mm-hmm. So there is a theory by the uh, modern homeopaths, which kind of explains as to what um, uh, homeopathy is actually doing. 
in this in the sense of uh, your uh, potentiation is like that water has a certain memory and this has been kind of proven by multiple thermoluminescence raman spectroscopies and uv visible spectroscopies and other methods where uh, i mean all the water imagine all the water in the world is generically uh, at a general level at a basal level is exposed to all materials in the world let us say that all materials in the world are exposed to everything in the world so they have a basal uh, uh, physico chemical properties mm-hmm. now then you expose it to a new material of a certain concentration they have seen that water retains this memory and this particular memory can actually uh, cause physiochemical changes to your cellular mechanisms indeed causing therapeutic uh, efficacies and what do you think about that wow <laughs> you know this is the biggest um Uh, biggest issue I have that's overgeneralization. Um, what really, what kind of effects does that memory of water have? I understand if it it makes a chemical sense, um, but what would it really do to that um, IgG antibody that is trying to coat this this antigen? what would it really do to uh, this tb bacteria sitting inside your lung and just producing all its granulomas what would it really do to the blocked blood vessel in your heart which has a lipid core which has a platelet layer which has a macrophage layer which has a plaque which is about to rupture and go physically close the blood supply to your heart so what how would that really even cause any micro or macro change to such a diverse um environment now when you talk about water that's h2o i mean there's nothing more to water than h2o and you can talk about how fluidic the water is you can talk about how what the surface tension is what the boiling point the triple point but how would it really affect a cell which is just passes through and doesn't really cause much of a change except for the exchange of osmoles that really does not cuz your your receptors don't recognize water um what your body receptors actually recognize are either the sodium ions the potassium ions uh they might recognize how much volume you have in your blood vessel they don't really recognize water except for that one receptor in your kidney tubule um aquaporin which will let the water go out and that's the only receptor that really recognizes water and that's cuz that's the only job it has to let the water out of your body so i really don't see how um the chemical physiochemical properties of water can have any biological effect when i say biological i mean microbiological effect uh or on the molecular level on the receptors or on this even the surface of the cell no i mean i i do understand what you're trying to say uh so there are two points that i'd like make make here now mm-hmm. one is that see think about quantum mechanics it is it doesn't uh make sense in in the common uh, i mean when common sense doesn't make any sense when you think about uh, quantum mechanics and quantum mechanics doesn't make any sense when you think about common sense so 
I mean, maybe what you're saying is true, but then maybe we don't even know how these things are working. Maybe we're just in this state where we are, we are yet to understand what, how these things are working because there is an evidence which uh, the earlier study, you know, kind of reported inhibition of degranulation at ultramolecular concentrations of IgG, IgE, sorry. And when these same experiments were conducted with like higher amounts of IgE, they did not see that happening. And they same they, they repeated that with ultramolecular dilutions of histamine, which showed positive results, while it did not show positive results at uh, uh, at so at higher concentrations. So, I mean, and these are all in vitro. I mean, so we we are not even taking into consideration a human's uh, placebo effect that came into picture. So maybe we don't know. Do do you even take that as a as a possibility that maybe we don't know? Well, definitely. I mean, I have not studied homeopathy, so I don't really know more than what I have read and just like the introduction textbooks, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you you can say that you want to compare it with quantum mechanics, but also when you see a magic trick, you don't really know. You don't understand it, but you don't compare magic with quantum mechanics. So there's there's different complexities and there's different amount of believability that a thing has. And I mean, the evidence that you've presented, as I said again, ultramolecular, do they really mean 10 to the power of 30? That depends. But if they, they are trying to put out evidence, that's great because we would rather do an evidence to evidence um uh, presentation than just have faith versus science, which I don't really think should be on two e- different sides of the arena. Were the studies um, at any point, uh, do you think, were they um, sponsored by the homeopathy people who are interested in? Because even I see studies in my medical profession and I don't, I take all of it with a pinch of salt. There's multiple variabilities that I have to look at before I actually understand if this guy is just blowing the um, drug capabilities out of its proportions or if it actually is something that would work for my patient. So do you know if what kind of credibility these studies have? So so this is where I'd like to introduce some amount of scientific evidence that uh, not, not some, in my opinion, from what I, I've read. So th- there have been technically 105 um, clinical trials that have happened since the since the 1990s so and based on these 104 or 105 placebo controlled random uh, randomized controlled double blinded trials i, I hope you know i mean right, right? so right. so i can explain each of those parts i guess placebo is basically uh, uh, a, a a non or, or like a pseudo drug. I mean, uh, so it is a, it is not a drug. It is just given to the patient uh, in in the sense that it is a drug and it is curing you. So I mean, so when a patient takes a drug, he thinks that it is the same thing. So it is like uh, it is a pseudo drug, like giving sugar cubes. Um, uh, then double blinded basically means that neither the patient nor the physician who is administering the drug knows whether they are getting placebo or the real drug. So both of them are blinded on this, right? So I'm just uh, trying to define the uh, terms here. 
and randomized basically means that uh, no one knows who's going to get what so there are like three levels of uh, or maybe i might be wrong right randomized basically means the different groups of people included in the study like whether the placebo group or the control group they have been first of they're chosen almost equal and then they've been randomized um because you want to make sure that the confounding factors are almost similar in both the groups and that that is randomization all right. so all right so so there have been these 104 randomized controlled double blind trials and 43% have reported uh positive findings and only 5% of them have reported negative findings and of course 56% uh have been non conclusive and then based on these um 104 uh, uh trials clinical trials uh, approximately 190 peer reviewed papers have come out you know peer reviewed basically mean that you know when you write a paper and you try to publish it you know your peers in the group they see what you're writing they understand what you've done and then they uh, put you through a series of revisions of the paper if they like it or otherwise reject it so a peer reviewed paper i mean almost 190 peer reviewed review papers have come out on these 104 uh, these things discussing various aspects of all these clinical trials out of which about um 41% mm-hmm. agree with what is happening and about 54% were non conclusive they say that you know it works it doesn't work uh they're not sure and only only another 5% of these uh review papers that have come out think that it doesn't work and so i mean so there, there is evidence so i mean if you if you say if you talk about evidence whether this works or not about and clinical trials are not cheap i mean there there are millions of dollars of money that is put into the entire thing and millions of dollars given to patients who are taking it up millions of dollars given to doctors who are conducting them and so a lot of money people have spent serious money and they have shown that 43% have reported positive findings that that definitely is not a bad number and i do agree with you that maybe homeopathy does have a more difficult time producing trials um because they don't really have that much of a funding the government is not really with them uk i think just withdrew their uh funding and support for homeopathy which or is the origin of homeopathy um but may- maybe there is more i would honestly love to see a third party non-biased uh person doing the trial rather than have people who practice homeopathy do the trial um some governing body and i I would want to think why would the UK government stop funding? Um I mean if you if you think about if you think about it that way um the UK is one of the only places which has a full-fledged uh government homeopathy hospital Royal Academy of Sciences. Right. So okay and of course maybe they withdrew but then what you have to understand is that FDA in the United States has put out a poll asking people if they want to be allowed to have these things and overwhelming 80% of them said yes they want 
Right, definitely. No, I I do. When you say that, you know, this is something that you don't understand and would you believe in something that you don't understand? We do. We honestly do. Um, allopathy doesn't want to, does never says that you cannot do anything by yourself and you always need our drugs to do something. We say, yes, your body can heal yourself, but sometimes it needs help. And we do completely believe in the effect of placebo. Uh, we have done trials where we don't know why, but people, even something that is as measurable as hypertension gets better um, when they get a placebo drug. So we do believe in placebo. Um, and I would also like to believe that homeopathy could be a source of relief, a source of treatment um, with less side effects. But I have had some unfortunate um, encounters with people who've taken homeopathy and um, I am not ready to lose my patients to something which hasn't been proven yet. Just like I wouldn't give an experimental drug to my patient, I still consider homeopathy to be experimental, which is sad because it's been here for so long then maybe if they get more funding, if they're able to do more research, and again, which is not sponsored by the homeopathy organization itself, then that would definitely be helpful for people and for us, because maybe there's some other solutions that we can give to patients without putting them through side effects. And especially if people believe in it, it has a higher chance of working. So I do definitely agree that um, we should help them. Uh, get more studies absolutely um i guess i i agree with you on that and uh, to finish that part of uh, clinical trials and the scientific evidence be- behind it uh, 9 out of 35 uh, cases uh, you know uh, based on the 104 clinical trials that have run um, they've kind of shown they've kind of i think run against 35 different disease types or whatever and they've shown that uh, nine different types of diseases which include different types of allergies, upper respiratory tract infections, childhood diarrhea, post-operative ileus, rheumatic diseases, seasonal allergies and binitis and vertigo. These these are like completely curable using uh, homeopathic medicines. That is very interesting that you actually brought it up. Um, the diseases, most of them that you have mentioned um, what we do is symptomatic treatment because we know the natural history of those diseases is they have to get better. So what we do, honestly, also is symptomatic treatment. So as long as my, my patients are not running to homeopathy for cancers or for AIDS, as long as it's these diseases, which we know are treated by symptomatic management unless they get really bad, maybe it's a good alternative. I just don't know if the treatment is as complex as the disease needs it to be no another thing that you have to understand is that you know the i mean this is this is something of my own my own personal uh, this thing and i can give you a statistics behind it um whenever i've been to a homeopathic uh, doctor and I, i've tried to talk to him he he spends at least 20 to 30 minutes with me and he asks me about my my health my overall functioning what i think about how i sleep at night how my personality is affecting uh, my mood changes and how uh, how stressful my work is and and he he kind of takes all these uh, personalized uh, individual traits uh, or characters that i'm suffering with you know maybe I, I just went there for a headache 
then he he kind of takes all these things into consideration when he is formulating a drug for me while while when i go to a, a allopathic doctor and i tell him bus uh, i have this disease or and i have a headache he i i've never spent anything more than 5 minutes at a allopathic doctor unfortunately that i think i have to agree with some part of it at least um it's it really is uh difficult in this day and age i have worked in both a third world country and i've seen the kind of restrictions that we have there in spending more time with our patients and that's the sheer volume of patients pouring into the clinic um and somebody behind this patient's bleeding somebody behind that patient's short of breath and is not oxygenating so it's it's just so many things somebody's crying in pain so in a third world country in a resource poor country it's the sheer volume of people and when you look at a resource rich country you would expect that a doctor would be able to spend more time with those patients but i am not really sure who to put the blame on here maybe the doctors maybe the government maybe the patient himself um we do have to see we have predetermined time 15 to 20 minutes per patient and that's that's what our job is being dictated as now i do have uh friends primary care physicians who have their own clinic they chat with their patients for half hour 45 minutes i do think that this builds a rapport in between the patient and the physician um this also gives me more idea of what kind of stress my patient's going through which is definitely a contributing factor to many of the diseases um and i can talk more about diet talk more about physical health more preventive medicine and honestly i've seen that when this happens and when somebody uh is with their patient for a long time the person behind him gets anxious and i've had people scream in the clinics saying oh you took so long but then when they come in they want to sit for longer i i think it's it's a good argument that homeopathy uh physicians do spend more time with their patients but you also and and i think it's a good thing don't get me wrong i think every physician should be able to spend as much time with their patient as they can sometimes that's just not possible but you also have to understand that although having well let's say somebody got diagnosed with aids and you are doing your part of giving all to them the the psychological counseling which is definitely a great part about the entire healing the patient in entirety it's not going to do anything for the virus so yes that is true that they spend more time it is sad that we're not able to i think we should but i don't see how that will help affect the basis of the disease it definitely would help the patient's overall health and i think everybody should do it um and based on this maybe i can push allopathy here and i can ask as to what allopathy has technically speaking done for us i mean if you look outside i mean heart i mean starting with anti antibiotics you 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 created superbugs i mean uh, the 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 allopathic industry has created superbugs like mrsa or you know the, i don't even know a lot of uh, varieties of them but then you created these bugs which are uh, resistant resistant to a lot of different things uh, uh, you, you created these cancer cures which are uh, which are dangerous for us i mean doxorubicin literally kills a person when you give, give it to them in higher doses uh, 
for all we know the entire cancer treatment is a hoax and it's something that is run by the bigger organizations uh, i mean if if you're trying to say that you know homeopathy is 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 a type of uh, medicine that is run or the 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 clinical trials are being run by the uh, homeopathic uh, uh, organizations or companies which produce homeopathic drugs i can always argue that you know cancer drugs are run by organizations there there are multiple better drugs that are available and maybe they are not using it and allopathy is full of side effects and horrible treatments at the end of the day and how do you support that i actually am very glad that you brought this question up i see the negativity towards the end of the question but well when you did start you said what has allopathy done and um just like how Hillary Clinton gets really happy when you ask her what have you been doing for the last 30 years um i'm also going to do a little shimmy but well let's let's look at what has allopathy done um well polio has been eradicated um smallpox has been eradicated guinea worm there's about 126 cases reported in 2015 almost eradicated um especially in the first world countries um there, there are so many more diseases that have been eradicated than in a third world eliminated i should say that in a third world country so yeah allopathy has done amazing if you look at the longevity um from 45 to 50 years people are now living to 102 uh which is great um and now when you talk about the side effects and also about um the superbugs that have been created again i have to say we all should be glad that we are in this era where allopathy has given us so many things to work on but definitely you have to understand that doctors in allopathy are human too so we do get excited when a new drug comes up and we sometimes don't know the full implications but the we don't really we can't really hesitate waiting for a 10 year long result although we do most of the times we wait for more than 13 years uh, for side effects but we do have cuz we have patients dying in and out every day so we do have to treat them with whatever information that we have and we deem safe and with this process although it is very unfortunate when the antibiotics started um and people started using them left and right definitely we have created resistant organisms um but i don't really see it's it's hard to say that it was preventable it's hard to cuz when you look back your vision's 2020 but now if if we were in the era of the start of antibiotic it was magic people were dying meningitis had a 99% death rate you would die there's no doubt but nowadays the only disease that has that high of a death rate is rabies and nothing else really even tetanus we're able to bring some of them back we're able to stop the disease so we had to do what we did maybe we should have done it better but people did use a lot of antibiotics when it came out because it was saving lives everywhere now we understand that we shouldn't be using antibiotics for viralness we shouldn't be giving it for somebody who has a cold that is the ethical way of practicing medicine but i would say there are a few bad apples in every um 
in, in every field. There are a few bad apples in every form of life, and people do still overuse them, and that has put us in this um, very serious situation of multidrug-resistant organisms. MRSA is um, is a very bad thing. It's also the least worrisome because we still have a lot of antibiotics to cover MRSA. There's VRE, um, vancomycin-resistant enterococci. There's multidrug-resistant organisms, and it we do we have to keep coming up with more and more antibiotics because. You never know who's going to get affected by these resistant organisms. Can we do something to change it? Definitely. There are, first off, you, as a patient, if I were a patient, I would not keep asking my physician for antibiotics if they said I do not need it. You would not believe how much difficulty I have telling my patients that, hey, you do not need antibiotics. I don't think you should. They're angry. They keep calling my clinic. They go to a different physician. So a lot of times... People who cannot afford to lose business, because again, this is their way of life, this is how they feed their family, they do give antibiotics, which is completely unethical, but they do. The other thing is, it's more on the pharmacological, pharmaceutical side about preventing resistance, because if you see, especially around the pharmaceutical companies um, of drugs, especially antibiotics, around the, wherever they release the effluent, they're supposed to treat it. But most of the times, wherever they release the untreated effluent of the factory, the amount of resistance in organisms there is is un- unbelievable. You would people have not been affected in an epidemic so far, but definitely people in those villages, um, in those areas, are getting affected. They're dying, and it does not look good. But again, you have to see, you have to understand that. Doctors are different from drugs. Doctors are different from pharmaceutical companies. We do not get paid from pharmaceutical companies unless you're of a particularly low moral value, but we don't get paid by the drug companies. We do get paid by the hospitals, but that's because we're doing our job. And definitely there are a few people who would bring in more patients to the hospital and gain their, uh, improve their income and all that. But most of us, are also in the same path as you, trying to understand which drug is better, which is not. And we hope and pray every day that our patients don't have those multi-drug resistant organisms. But it's a sad thing and it is happening, but that shouldn't pull you away from all the amazing things that allopathy has done, um, including treatment of cancer. Now, when you bring the cancer part up, that's definitely a topic for discussion for itself, but for another podcast. Um, But I do agree that there could be some politics behind developing uh, techniques, definitely not homeopathy, but developing techniques which are going to treat cancer in entirety without having chemotherapy. But I don't believe we are at that point yet. And... There may, the pharmaceutical companies that produce the cancer drugs are, it's a multi-million dollar industry and they are powerful enough that if you have like a sci-fi mind and if you think that they are impeding the development of this non-drug related treatment for cancer, they may as well. I am not sure. But when my patient comes in with a breast mass of four centimeters with meds to her bones and has two kids to herself and she's 45, I have to treat her. And when I see that a metastatic disease, which was killing patients, 
now has a mortality rate of 30%, in a survival rate of 70% in five years, that's an amazing number. And if I can give that to my patient, seven more years of life, at least seven more years of life, I will give that drug and I will treat that patient. That's that's where I stand. And I would be happy if there is a drug that comes out, a non-drug-related treatment that comes out for cancer. But right now, this is what we have. And until that comes in, this is what doctors are going to do to treat their patients. Wow. Um, thank you for that. Uh, I guess you, you opened my eyes uh, in certain sense. Um, so maybe, I mean, I really don't have any words for what you told me. I mean, that kind of gives me a better perspective of what uh, this industry has done for us as um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of out of words. So uh, maybe I can just ponder about this later on but then uh, I guess the next thing that I have to do right now is uh, conclude this podcast by telling the uh, salient points of our discussion. So we started off our discussion by uh, talking about likes cure likes where uh, or likes uh, like cures like or likes cure like or however you want to put it where um, you you where I had given the example of vaccines and you said <laughs> that is not the exact way how you treat um, cancer or you know you don't want to give someone something that gives cancer uh, to cure cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Uh, so I can, I guess, strike it out completely as bogus, I guess. Um, and, and then maybe the potentiation part where the increase of uh, dilution increases the potency. Where, I mean, while my brain wants to agree with you, uh, I want to keep my possibilities open towards that because we never know, right? I mean, I don't know what, what is happening, but then... Uh, you definitely have shown me how bogus it could be that, you know, there's only one molecule in an entire ocean and you're expecting the drop on the other side of the ocean to cure you. I, I understand what you're trying to say. So, and of course, uh, then again, uh, we, we, we talked about scientific evidence where uh, I was able to show you that, you know, there was, there's a good amount of evidence that is available outside. I mean, there's no resources for um homeopathic uh, doctors to conduct uh, trials i mean and and if you think about this in another sense because homeopathic uh, doctors they, they don't treat you for your disease they, they they at least say or claim that they holistically treat you i mean so that's what i said right i mean when they when i talk about individualized patient care um you you cannot do a randomized controlled trial for that because they consider every individual to be an individual and so i don't so it's like trying to give an exam of climbing a tree for a fish maybe it is not the right way of doing it or maybe i don't even know at this point of time so um so that is something that is uh something that is worth discussing or something that is worth mentioning i guess but of course, what you have to definitely agree upon is that... So I'll give a tick mark to the scientific evidence. Definitely. Or, or, we need more of it and I would love to see more of it. And if it works, <laughs> I would love to use it on my patients. Absolutely. So 
then i guess we we definitely put a tick mark on the individualized health part where you know but i guess you know think about it this way but you know if all the patients in allopathy shift into homeopathy the patient load for a homeopathic hospital will increase phenomenally and maybe they'll not have enough time to do anything about it either and, and our mortality rates also would increase phenomenally <laughs> and of course finally when i asked you about what allopathy has done so far you gracefully given us good examples of how we been able to treat the simplest of diseases that we think right now were like life threatening diseases at one point um going from simple common cold or influenza to all the way to um cancer and yeah i mean true it is it, it is true that um there are some bad apples in all of them i mean there have been uh, bad things that have come out of each of them but then yeah but then allopathy has done really good so far and has saved a lot of lives so while i put a bogus mark on homeopathy at this point of time because potentiation and likes cure like are like the basis of the entire thing the good things that you have to take from it are individualized health and different new ways of creating randomized control trials because there's today something called as immunotherapy that is coming out now you you can't do immunotherapy for a large scale of people using any controlled uh, random blinded whatever trials it is individual based uh, therapy and for that the potential uh, the potency or the efficacy of it has to be treated in a different way and there have to be new regulations that have to come into place so maybe to uh see how uh homeopathy works maybe you need new systems in place to understand how uh clinical trials to have to be conducted for them so on this note uh, i'd like to thank you very much uh thank you very much teja <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by Colgate, Close Up, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Samsung Electronics. Ambani, Tata, now, now this was all just me. Um so please like and subscribe so that I can make more. Thank you for your support. Bye.